Do you have questions about life and faith and God that remain unanswered? Do you feel like the Christian cliches are shallow and don't really get to the truth? Is this whole Christian thing rather uncertain for you? And, and does that uncertainty exclude you from true spirituality? My name is Skip Collins, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to explore concepts of life and faith and the Bible and Christianity. We'll challenge our traditional views and ideas which at times will probably make us a little uncomfortable, but hopefully we'll come out on the other side more connected to our faith, to God, and to what we believe. So let's jump in to deeply spiritual, but rather uncertain. Hey guys, before we get going today, I want to talk just a little bit about the future of the podcast. If you listen to my very first podcast, I said I was going to try and do at least two per month, or in other words, every other week. But then I got going and I was so excited, I just kept doing one every week. But I've come to the conclusion that it's more than I can keep up with in the long term. I'm finding that the research involved is taking more time than I thought, and so the whole thing's making taking up more time than I had planned. Um, the other thing that I've noticed through the analytics is that most of you don't have time to listen every week. And so I'm actually releasing more than many of you can keep up with anyway. So all of that taken into consideration, I'm going to go to my original plan to release two per month, maybe three if I get really excited. So there won't be one next Monday, but the week after that, which will be April the 1st, we'll get into the subject of redemption as we continue through the series on the themes or the threads that run through the Bible. Last week, we started speaking of the theme justice. And in my opinion, it's one of the major themes that runs through the entire Bible. And because of that, it is a lens that we use to interpret all of Scripture and really all of life. So often our view of justice is the idea that people get what they've got coming to them. It's very punitive in nature. Often we view justice with punishment. But most of the time, that isn't at all what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word justice. Justice in the Bible is about speaking out for those who have no voice in society. It's about standing up for the disenfranchised and those that are discriminated against. So last week we talked about charity and generosity, which is part of this whole justice idea. And then we looked at the Hebrew word that is usually translated as justice in the Old Testament, the word mishpah. Today, we're going to look at another Hebrew word that is found frequently in the Old Testament and is very closely related to justice. It's the word tzedakah, and it's usually translated into English as righteousness. If you grew up in a church like I did, righteousness probably isn't a foreign word to you at all. I always grew up believing that righteousness was doing right or being holy. Righteousness was about not smoking or drinking or sleeping with my girlfriend. 
It was mostly about keeping the rules and living a moral lifestyle. This was confirmed when we spoke about the righteousness of Christ, a phrase that is found in 2 Corinthians. The idea was that we can't actually live perfectly righteous, but Jesus did. And so we are clothed in his righteousness so that when God the Father looks at us, our rubbish is hidden from him so he can't see it and get mad at us. He just sees Jesus and his perfect life. But tzedakah isn't a behavioral term. It's a relational term. It's about doing what is right and just toward other people. It's about living in right relationships. It's not just the absence of evil, but rather the presence of doing right toward others. It has nothing to do with whether I keep the rules. It has everything to do with how I treat other people. Righteousness is achieved when my relationships to people that I know and people that I don't know are in a good place. Righteousness is achieved when I treat the people I work with with dignity and honor. It's when I treat the people that work for me or work under me with respect and dignity. I mean, that all sounds fine, but I wonder if we ask some of those people that like work for us or work with us, work alongside of us, about how they feel when we speak to them. I wonder what they would say. Do they feel respected? Do they feel honored? Do they feel valued for who they are rather than just what they do? If we ask our children or our siblings how they feel when we speak to them, what would they say? See, that's tzedakah, that's righteousness. It's about how we treat people. Now, if the Bible is going to speak into the real world that you and I live in, then we probably need to talk about racism because it is the antithesis to righteousness. But it's a difficult conversation to have these days because it has become so politicized in our world. But it's a conversation that needs to be had, so let's have it. When I use the word racism... I would love for you to give me permission to speak very broadly in terms of what racism is. See, theoretically, it's just about race, but I would love to talk about it in terms of any kind of discrimination toward another human being or groups of people. It could be gender or language, social economics, political affiliation, sexual preference, or a host of other things. If there's one word that includes all that stuff, I don't know what it is. So for today, um, our discussion will be using the word racism, but in a very broad context, if that's okay. Racism is certainly not something new. It's as old as history itself. When God blessed Abraham back in Genesis, he told him that his descendants would outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. 
and that they would be a blessing to all nations. But the Jewish nation missed this. They thought the blessing was all about them. They thought because they were chosen by God, they were superior to everyone else, and that gave them permission to exploit everybody else, namely the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, and the poor. It's what Tim Keller calls the quartet of the vulnerable that comes up in Scripture over and over again. The Israelite nations saw themselves as superior to every other race and people group. We call that racism. But there are prophets that continually call the Israelites out on their racism and their exploitation of people. Jeremiah, Amos, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, and more and more. They are calling for an end to the racism that inflicted the people and the nation. But the people still didn't get it. And it didn't end when Jesus shows up. You see it very clearly in a story in Luke chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples are traveling through Samaria. It's a very long story as to why, but the Jews hated the Samaritans and vice versa. So these 13 Jewish men head into Samaria and they didn't get a very warm welcome. But look at James and John's response. Now these are disciples of Jesus. Here's what they say. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, how crazy is that? Let's just use our superpowers and we'll wipe them off the planet. It says that Jesus rebuked them. Man, I wonder what he said. I sure wish Luke would have written that down because it probably would have been amazing. Anyway, after Jesus was gone and the church had begun, there was this debate about letting Gentiles into the church. I mean, even Peter doesn't get it until God gives him a vision. And God has to show him this vision like three times before he kind of figures it out. And then straight away, he ends up in the home of Cornelius, a Gentile, where the Spirit of God falls. And Peter finally gets it. But the church was still divided. And they had to have this big powwow, this big convention to try to figure it out. You can read it in Acts chapter 15. There were some that just didn't want Gentiles in their church. We call that racism. Back in 1971, I met a young man by the name of Robert Johnson. We called him Bobby back then. He was the first non-white friend that I ever had. My high school, my grade schools were almost totally white. But Robert lived in the Heights and didn't go to our school. Robert and I became great friends. We made music together for almost two decades. And to this day, he remains one of my best friends on the planet. I love this man with every fiber of my being. 
He is truly my brother from another mother. Robert has three sisters and a brother who recently passed away. His parents and his brother and sisters treated me like part of the family. From day one, this family loved and accepted this little white boy from the rich side of town. And that love continues with me and it continues to guide me to this very day. But they didn't let me live in my little comfortable Caucasian bubble. They challenged me and they taught me what it means to be a racist. They called me out when I did things or said things that were hurtful or just in bad taste. They taught me that there were some things that I could never say, even if they could. It taught me that I could really be a good person but still make racist jokes or racist comments that were harmful and hurtful. A couple of years ago, I was back in the States and I met Robert for breakfast at Bob Evans in Muskegon, Michigan. We ate breakfast and drank a ton of coffee while we reminisced about our high school days and our university days. We talked about our children, and our grandchildren, we laughed, we cried, and we were oblivious to anyone else around us other than the waitress who kept filling up our coffee cups. Now, the thing about Robert and I, neither of us are very quiet. We both talk really loud, and when we're together, we're even louder. It's just always been that way. So after all this conversation, we get up to pay the bill, and the woman at the counter says, your bill's already been paid. And we're like, no, you must be wrong because we haven't paid it. She said, no, somebody else paid it. And we glanced around the restaurant to see if there was anybody we knew and there was nobody. Then we finally found out that a guy a couple of booths over had paid it. And so we went to say thank you. He said, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to listen, but you guys are pretty loud. And he said, I was just blown away by how obviously you guys love each other. And I think that is what we need in this world. And so I paid your bill. Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. As followers of Christ, we are called to be in right relationship to the people that are like us and the people that are different than us. We are called to love each other no matter our backgrounds or our culture or the color of our skin or the language that we speak or the side of the tracks that we grew up on. The racism that exists in our world and in our hearts is the complete antithesis of tzedakah, of righteousness. And over and over, the Bible tells us that God loves righteousness. Look at this psalm. It's Psalm 112. Let me read it to you. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness, their tzedakah, endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, 
and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look in triumph of their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their tzedakah, their righteousness, endures forever. God loves righteousness. So last week we spoke about justice and the Hebrew word mishpah. We spoke about the fact that most of the time it is not speaking of punitive justice, but rather restorative or social justice. Mishpah is about speaking out for those who can't speak for themselves. Over and over again in the Bible, these two words, Mishpah and Tzedakah, are used together. Justice and righteousness. Let me show you a couple examples. 2 Samuel 8.15 says, So David reigned over all Israel and continued to administer justice and righteousness for all his people. Mishpah and Zedekah. Or Psalm 33 says, God loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And one more, Amos 5.24. It was the great Dr. Martin Luther King's favorite verse and one he quoted often in his speeches. It says, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. More than three dozen times in the Old Testament, these two words are used together. And when they use them together, it's always speaking about social justice in our world. When we speak about social justice in our world in 2019, we have to talk about the refugee crisis. There is a refugee crisis in much of the world. But it's all been highlighted lately because of the political debate that's going on in the States. But in South Africa last year, we had a xenophobic outbreak where the refugees, people from other African countries living among us, were attacked and in some cases killed. It was horrible. So this is not just an American problem. Now, I know that this can be very political and very polarizing in these days. But this biblical theme of justice and righteousness falls right into the debate, but it's not something I'm hearing people talk about too much. See, this theme in the Bible of justice and righteousness has a lot to do with a foreigner. Justice and righteousness are about how we treat people that are vulnerable not about how we enforce the law for the refugee. As followers of Christ, when we are talking about refugees, whether they're Mexican or Syrian or Congolese or Nigerian, our posture should be a posture of righteousness and justice. 
But I don't see that. I see posts on Facebook where the posture is strictly about the law or it's about protecting our own turf. Much of the debate I've seen on these issues resolves, revolves rather around the fact that we're trying to protect the status quo. We like our way of life and we're not ready or willing to sacrifice any of it. Or maybe for some people, it's more like, look, we've sacrificed enough now. Enough is enough. And so that is our posture. It's a posture of enough now. I know that certainly in America, the policies and procedures need to be debated and changed and worked through. But what if we did it from a posture of righteousness and justice? instead of a posture of fear or a posture of the law or a posture of enough. Okay, we're through almost two podcast episodes talking about justice, and we still haven't even gotten to what the New Testament says on the subject. But the truth is, it's pretty much more of the same thing. The Greek word for justice is diakosuni. It appears 86 times in the New Testament, 29 times in the book of Romans alone. And so it's an important word to understand. There's been a lot of controversy and debate as to how we interpret this word into English. More often than not, it's interpreted as righteousness. But not a righteousness like we saw in Zedekah, but more in the modern evangelical sense of right living or holiness. But some theologians would argue that it should be interpreted as justice to speak for those that have no voice. Now, to be honest, both sides have a really good argument. It's hard to know which way these verses should be translated, but it's an important conversation because the meaning of the verses change considerably. Let me give you an example. Matthew 6.33 is a verse that most Christians know. It says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, or his dakusuni, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, here's how I've always interpreted that verse. If I seek God and I do everything right, like read the Bible and pray and go to church and tithe and don't sin, then I will have everything that I need. And, and I think that's a pretty standard interpretation of the verse. But what if we look at Daokusuni differently? So here's Matthew 6.33 with a reinterpretation of the word. But seek first his kingdom and his justice, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek God's kingdom and speak out for those that have no voice, and you will have everything you need. That changes the verse pretty considerably. I read one theologian who suggested that the best way to interpret Daokusuni is to actually use both words, righteousness and justice. 
then this verse would look like this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and justice, and these things will be given to you as well. I think that's fantastic. Or how about this one from 2 Corinthians 5.21? God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness and justice of God. Or how about 1 Peter 2.24? Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness and justice. By his wounds you have been healed. Man, so much changes when we look at Dao Kusuni differently. Check it out for yourself. Read the debates, look at the verses. It really will blow your mind. So what does all this mean in terms of how I live my life? I'm not actually suggesting you go out and change everything in your life. I'm not suggesting that you should feel guilty because of the house you live in or the car you drive. But what I am suggesting is that you use a different filter through which you both read the Bible and see the world. A different filter through which you make your decisions concerning your lifestyle and how you spend your time. At the end of last year, Sheila and I had the opportunity to attend the Justice Conference in Mitchell's Plain, just outside of Cape Town. It was a two-day conference that addressed really difficult topics in South Africa, like privilege, land reform, gender equality. One of the general sessions was a lament, a 90-minute lament. There is nothing about my personality that relates to a lament. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. That means I want to be happy and joyful and have adventures. But now I'm stuck in a 90-minute lament. They sang African funeral songs, and people told their stories of pain and struggle, stories of racism and discrimination, and then more funeral music. It was so beautifully done, but it was hard for me. But what it did was to force me to look at the pain and force me to look at the reality of people's struggle. I came away from there saying, wow, that was really amazing. I've really grown, but that was hard, really, really hard. We don't have to look far to see struggle and pain, no matter where you live in this world. But sometimes we have to be very intentional about looking. And we have to be willing to see and feel the pain that is all around us. I would suggest that the Bible calls us first to see the struggle but then to engage. Now, how we engage will be different for all of us, but somewhere along the line, we need to engage. I'm going to end this episode differently. I'm going to play a song, 
as a tribute to two South African men that stood for righteousness and justice. One is a white musician by the name of Johnny Clegg. He started making music back in the 70s, and he was continually harassed by the then-apartheid government because his songs spoke against the oppression of the apartheid regime. He has been a voice of freedom and justice in South Africa for many years. He has spoken for those who have no voice. The other man is the late, great Nelson Mandela. The song I'm gonna leave you with is a tribute to this great man, but actually it was written back in 1987 when Mandela was still imprisoned on Robben Island. The Zulu words say, we have not seen him. We have not seen Nelson Mandela in the place where he is kept. And as we go there, this passage from the great prophet Amos. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Hasim bonanga, Hasim bonango Mandela china, la pekona, la pechelikona. Yeah.
Hasibona 